guys, welcome to another episode of Bad History. Bad uh, History. My name is my name is Steven and I'm joined with my buddy Dave. How you doing, Dave? What's up, dude? We've got a super exciting show for you today on Bad History. Um, we're gonna be talking about some empires. Empires. And, and, and we're gonna be talking about uh, some stories from the from those from those empires that we've selected. Um, but before we get that started, as always, Dave, how was your week? My week was great. I had a great week this week. Was... So, uh, what did I do this week? Okay, so this week was Halloween, and nice. I it was. I don't trick or treat. I just buy candy and eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes I like hide it around the house, so I feel like I have to work for it and like, put uh-huh. it in like a little bag. But then uh-huh. ultimately, I just sit down and eat it. I watched right. a lot of spooky movies this week. Nice. Um, Do you get spooked, dude? I like. I don't really get scared by movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I love horror movies. Don't get me wrong. Uh, like good yeah. ones. I didn't go see yeah. Paranormal Activity 12 this week or anything like that. But um, that's probably for the best. Yeah, I mean, like if you like those movies, like those movies. It's fine. Whatever. Fuck it. But like, wait, wait, but you've seen the, the, the title for the new paranormal activity movie, right? No, is it actually paranormal? Activity it's like, well? it's like paranormal activity, but this time with ghosts or something it's like called, that. It's called, but this time with ghosts. Paranormal activity. Uh, <laughs> no, it's paranormal activity. The ghost dimension, the ghost dimension. The ghost dimension. Fuck, dude, that sounds spooky. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's, I, don't, I don't watch this kind of movies. Um, no. Uh, I watched the first Evil Dead, the very first Evil Dead. Nice. Nice. Um, it's a great movie. It's so good. That one's actually, like, it's actually, like, pretty scary, too. Uh, it's, like, I, I bet it was really scary when it came out. It's mm-hmm. one of those. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. But now it's kind of a little silly. <laughs> I just re- well, I just remember watching it for the first time. Like, this is sophomore year of college, so this was like three years ago, going on three years ago, and it was with me and some buddies, and we were in my dorm room's like living room, and it was like all at night, so all the lights off or uh, all all the lights were off, and we just like sat down and watched it, not knowing what to expect. Yeah. And it like. I got pretty spooked, man. I'm not gonna lie. It's, it's got some like gross spooks in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There's that bit where uh, she stabs the girl's like, like ankle with like a screwdriver mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. super graphic, and it gets in yeah. there and stuff. Like that's kind of spooky, but I, I love that movie. I love all those movies. And then mm-hmm. if you love The Evil Dead. There was a super special Halloween this year because the first episode of Ash vs. the Evil Dead came out, and I watched the shit out of that. How was that? Okay. <laughs> so, um, it's very Evil Dead 2 style. Like, okay, so it's like comedy. Yeah, it's like Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 2 style. It's mm-hmm. if, if that's what you're into, it was fucking amazing. Like, nice. the opening scene is, like, Bruce Campbell going to a bar and, like, fucking some chick in the bathroom doggy style. And, um, <laughs> and then, like, the, the, uh, the, like, possessed come in later. There's some cool, like, slow-mo action. It's, like, way overdone, too, which is, like, perfect. 
Like, yeah. Like, I love when um, people know that, like, something isn't... Like, there's no way to make something look realistic. Like, no amount of CGI right. and no amount of shit will make it look realistic. So they take it in the opposite direction <laughs> where they're, like... I mean, yeah, make it look as fake as possible. Yeah, and then, like, the cast was, like, surprisingly good in it, too. Uh, Bruce Campbell's in it. Um... Uh, the guy he is like sidekicked with was really good, um, mm -hmm. and there was a chick there, so it's like a, it's like a three, a three, a three crew, um, three crew. And then like, I was watching the show, and I, I like did I purposefully like avoided media just because I wanted it to be super fresh, and yeah. for one scene, for like one line, for like five seconds, Xena the Warrior Princess is in it. She just, like, what? leans into the frame, says, like, some line to another character whose, like, uh, position isn't really established this. She's this, um, like, police officer. And then she's, like, she had, like, a rough experience where she lost her partner because he was possessed. And there was, like, a bunch of shit and nobody believed her. And she's, like, going through some stuff. And she's eating in, like, a, uh, I'm ruining this. But, like, she, she's fine. eating uh, in, like, a diner. And she's thinking, and then, like, from the booth in front of her, fucking Lucy Lawless turns around and says, like, don't worry, I know what you're going through. And then just walks off and doesn't appear in the rest wow. of the episode. And I was like, this is my favorite show of all time. Now. That's awesome. Because <laughs> I love, I love me some Xena. I know you do. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> there was that summer where I watched all of Xena on Netflix. So Didn't you watch, like... Beastmaster too that summer. Dude, don't talk shit about Beastmaster. <laughs> He's got the power <laughs> of ferrets. <laughs> no, I also I so I watched like a shit ton of Evil Dead, and then I watched nice. um my maybe my favorite bad movie of all time. You know what Which I mean? It's fucking Van Helsing. I watched. Yo, it's a great. <laughs> I watched movie. Van Helsing last night. That movie is so cool. Still, I guess it's like a ten-year-old movie. Still, the best werewolf transformation we've ever yeah. we've ever got. You know, he's Ripping the he's skin pulling off. the fucking skin off and shit. Oh, it's so yeah. good. I actually have the DVD right next Dude. to me. Let me see what year it came out in. Uh, two thousand five. Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Is that what you're Absolutely. saying? Two thousand five. Yeah. This is a two-hour and twelve-minute movie. Yeah, it's pretty. Impressive. I was watching last night. I forgot how long it was. Like they don't find the Frankenstein monster. Until, mm -hmm. like, really far into the movie. Dave, you were one year off. 2004. Damn. Damn. Honestly, like, I think it was, like... It was a great movie. It was just super campy. Dude, I love it. It's, like... Oh, it's Like, so if they had gone... Good. If they had gone more, like, grungy, it would have been really cool. Dude, I think it's perfect. I think if they tried any harder to make it serious, yeah. it would be sad. And if they tried any harder to make it comic... The Friar, It'd be the sad. Friar is the perfect oh, amount dude. of comedy. He's great. Yeah, he's great. He's the only comedy that was like really present. Though, so that's I'm good. just a friar. And then he fucks that barmaid. The, the, the... He fucks her, <laughs> dude. It just bangs. He, she's like, how can I repay you? And he he goes up and whispers in her ear, and you don't hear it. And she's like, but yeah. you're, you're a monk. And he's like, I'm just a friar. And they like, fuck. So you know what he whispered in his ear, in her ear. She's like, how do I repay you? He goes, will you fuck me? <laughs> oh, fuck you. And she says yes. <laughs> best movie. She's on that adrenaline high. Dude, best movie. Um, really great movie. Yeah, and then I also celebrated my one year anniversary. With my girlfriend, whatever, not important. Nice. How'd you do that over Skype? 
<laughs> I I was hanging out with her all week and then I I missed the anniversary. <laughs> I was surprised. I was like, wait, Dave like missed that shit by like three days. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm I'm not good. I'm not a good boyfriend. No, oh, you're not. God, I'm sorry, cat. Don't listen to this. If you're listening to this, fucking turn it off right now. Anyway, so that was my week. Steven Kukla. Nice. What did you do? Uh, you watch any good movies? Play any good video games? Read any good books? What did you do this week? Yeah. Um. So this week has been pretty pretty good for a few reasons. Uh. First of all, I got to see you on Wednesday. That was pretty dope. Oh shit. Um, yeah. We live thousands we were... of miles away, and then I just showed up on your doorstep. Just show up on my doorstep, and we got dinner together. We, with we got dinner. Yeah. It was so great. And I touched your face. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that happened. We rub, we rubbed beards. Oh. That's yeah. so sensual. We gotta edit that yeah. out. This is now yeah, rated do. R. It's a it's one of those <laughs> it's one of those podcasts. Uh, but no, it was it. So so that happened, and then on Friday, the Binding of Isaac Rebirth DLC came out. Afterbirth, right? And yeah, it's called Afterbirth. Nice. And it it's it's pretty it's pretty good. Uh, I enjoy it. I've I've sunk a considerable amount of my life into that game. So, so I'm not it's super pretty... familiar. I've played a Binding of Isaac. I think it's fucking awesome. So yeah, is, is Afterbirth, uh, it's it's like a huge DLC, or is it like a sequel, yeah. essentially? No, I mean, so it's not a sequel. It's definitely a, it's definitely a DLC, because it, it still feels like the game. But okay. it's got, um, like, 100-plus new items added to it a bunch of new like a whole new like game mode um a bunch of like pretty much just over a hundred of hours over a hundred hours of content were added in it and so i mean it was like it's just like a huge dlc um dude that's what i love about edmund mcmillan is because like he makes these amazing games and then he like supports them with dlc for years where like he could, could like he could technically just keep releasing them as sequels or whatever but like yeah. he's like no i'm I mean, not gonna do that i'm not gonna do that like fucking madden or whatever where like they're essentially the same game just with like tweak updates he well yeah that's the thing is like all of his games are very different yeah. and he doesn't yeah so i mean it's it's well that's cool you know it's yeah it's really like yeah it, and it's it's really good too yeah. i mean i've enjoyed it so yeah, far i played i mean i haven't played i haven't played a lot of it um just because i haven't really had like super lots of time yeah. um but it's been a lot of fun the way I play it. And it's weird because, like, when new games come out that I'm really excited for, I usually don't binge play them. I'll usually, like, play them for a little bit, and then, like, it takes me, like, a week or so to really get into it. Yeah, I, I totally but... agree. I feel like sometimes with some games, like, you binge play them, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like, like those <laughs> games that I binge play when they first come out, once that mm-hmm. initial binge is over, I'm done with that game. And, like, exactly. I don't... It's yeah. some, some games, I don't want that to happen. So, like, if a new fighting game comes yeah. out, or, like, um, uh, you know, like, a new, like, a new like arcade-style game, because that's what Binding of Isaac is. Yeah. It's, it's, like, an arcade-style yeah, game. Yeah, it's an arcade-style. Like, oh, if yeah. you play way too much in that initial 24, then, like, why would you ever pick it up again? Yeah, and, I mean, I think that's the thing with the Binding of Isaac. When I got the game, I actually... I, I decided to start playing it at, like, a really bad opportunity, because... I had bought the game, like, I think I feel like everybody owns that game, because it was in some sort of, like, bundle that you bought through Steam for, like, a dollar, yeah. and, um, I 
was it was the end of my uh, fall semester senior year and i was like for some reason decided i start playing it and like i really got into it but at the same time i was also writing my senior thesis oh, so i didn't shit. have it i didn't yeah i didn't have the time to get to get into it so it was just like yeah. it was such a bad decision yeah it was it was a bad decision to start it then but i mean that's like our curse I've, though like all through college every exam season something came out like yeah. freshman year of college fucking skyrim, skyrim. came out like yeah. right exam time and then the next semester yeah. fucking diablo 3 came out yeah that came out right before christmas what diablo 3 or was it summer it was no, summer diablo 3 it was summer. Came out during exams summer because i bought it it was came out it came out came out during exams freshman year because yeah. I, I played it all that summer i bought it yeah. and then i fucking put it aside and i was like ah, you know like i wanted to play yeah. it so bad that game was that seems so great. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. Um, but and then on uh, you know yesterday was Halloween and so Spooky. I uh, I got pretty spooked and went out and drank. That's, that is what we. And we'll leave it. We'll, we do. we'll leave it at that. <laughs> that is what we do. <laughs> what were you for Halloween? Uh, I I was uh so me and my girlfriend dressed up as Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. That's awesome. So that that was a lot of fun. Pictures are gonna be um, put up just, on the Facebook. There's actually we didn't actually get a chance to take that many. I think oh. there's like one. Yeah. Unfortunately. Oh no. But uh but no, so that that was a good time and then today I've just been doing homework. So that's been my week. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. <laughs> yeah. So Right on, you wanna get into it? Let's get into it. Let's jump into okay. it. Cue transitional music number one. Okay, Stephen. The empire that I chose is Zulu. Zulu. Yeah, I chose the Zulu Kingdom slash Zulu Empire, depending on how you want Mm -hmm. to define it. I like Mm -hmm. to define an empire as um a conquering entity right okay and then one that once it conquers governs and that's i think that's pretty standard that's pretty accurate i I would yeah i would say yeah because then that cover is like if you conquer and then put your you know like put in a ruler to rule it for your stead but that you like you know what i mean you got enough production to make a new settler and then you send them in and and found a new city exactly you get enough resources. Get enough resources. First one of the sea wins. It's a, that's right. Listen up, guys. Number one rule of civilization: first one in the water wins. That's how it goes. Yeah. Same with uh, same with settlers of Catan. Oh, I'm not really big into that game. Do you play that game? I played it once and I did really well, and so now I just feel like I'm destined so to be good at that you're game. You're like the uh, the savior <laughs> of that game. He he speaks wisdom. Yeah. I speak wisdom yeah. in my <laughs> limited experience. Oh shit! So, um, I did the Zulu, and I'm I want to give you a little background on the Zulu Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay, do it. So, the Zulu state uh, was established really as a unified kingdom in the year 1816 mm-hmm. uh, under Shaka Zulu. Shaka Zulu. Zulu. Um, and I want, I want to give a little background on him and a little background on that. So, uh, the Zulu state 
if you're not familiar, was primarily in modern day like South Africa, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it extended up a little bit along the west coast of Africa, but not super far. Um, gotcha. So, Shaka was this fucking badass military leader, right? Yeah. He came in. He's bred as a warrior. Fucking overthrew his father to become nice. king of the Zulu. Fucking badass, right? But a lot of people don't know nice. this about Shaka. Is even more so important was his social reform. And it's weird. Mm-hmm. Like, we live in this sort of, um, like, Western thinking, post colonial idealism of what the world was like before Europe really touched it. And um, you think social reform in, like, that kind of tribal Africa? Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. But, at, but Dave, Africa was just a big jungle before Britain Africa got there, right? Africa was just a big fucking jungle with a bunch of black people. Yeah, but there were kingdoms and shit. They could read and write. They had religion, mm-hmm. hierarchies, mm-hmm. really established social hierarchies, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. And so the Zulu religion really dominated sort of the Volksgeist in oh, I shouldn't use German terminology when referring to pre-colonial <laughs> Africa um, probably not so the Zulu religion was really big and it it kind of was like an entirely separate thing to the politics mm-hmm. where like if you were a Zulu man or woman or whatever whatever you identify as and you were walking around, the king would say, hey, you do this, and you'd be like, okay. But then your witch doctor said, the spirits want you to do this, or I'm getting a sense from nature that you need to do this. You fucking did that Uh instead. Got it? Gotcha. Okay, so the the, the spirits were trumped the, the king. Yeah, so the spiritual leadership, um, what were really, really, like, uh, the authority in in, mm-hmm. in that kind of thing. And, and Zulu religion uh, were, it, it was based kind of like, it, it was kind of similar to, like, a traditional creator religion, but, uh-huh. um, you know, it had a lot of things involved in traditional African religions, such as, like, a spirit world, uh, invoking the ancestors, you know, herbalism, nature, that that was very prominent. And gotcha. and their their clergy were the witch doctor class. Okay. And so Shaka came in and he said, fuck that. He, <laughs> one nice. of his big social reforms, uh, which led to a lot of conflict, um, was that he pretty much brought the Zulu religion under state control. Uh, okay. And he, he pretty much established more so a Zulu church. Do you know what I mean? And um, Yeah, I get you saying. Sh- he, he was like, listen up, fucking witch doctors. You got your fucking religion. You got your God. He listens to me. And then he he fucking did it. And they were like, okay, Shaka, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Chill out, bro. Chill out, Shaka. Shaka uh, also did mm. what I think... Every great uh, emperor, king, leader, 
really needs to do in order to be seen throughout history as a good leader is he integrated clans into the Zulu kingdom that he defeated. Uh, yeah, instead of wiping instead of him out. Not just wiping him out. He also reformed social service so yeah. that integrated clans were included in a merit-based sort of job position offering. That's really and, smart. And he really eliminated the inheritance model. You know, my dad was this, so mm-hmm. I am this, pretty much. Okay, which is how it was. I got you. That's, that's smart. Yeah, and uh, he made all these reforms uh, that a lot of them survived after his assassination. Um, some of them didn't, but he pretty much established the Zulu kingdom and what it stood for. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in the early 1800s, and uh, Zulu was assassinated, or Shaka Zulu was assassinated, sorry, in 1828. Um, his, so for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, like, he, he, he was there long enough to get shit done, yeah. pretty much. Um, over the next, you know, 50 years, um, the Zulu kingdom went under a bunch of Secession disputes, but it pretty much stayed within the family. Sons fighting brothers, fighting cousins, fighting uh-huh. uncles. As that's what usually happens. Yeah, and um, then we have King Quechuayo. And King Quechuayo, mm-hmm. um, he was in power after his father died, Mapande, in 1872. And this is the beginning of their interaction with the British, and this is where okay. our story begins. So I want to tell the story of the Zulu and the Battle of Rourke's Drift, but in order to understand this battle, I have to take you back to a different battle. So on January 22nd, 1879, the first major battle of the Anglo-Zulu War took place, and this is the Battle of Isandwane, okay? Isandlwane, it's a very hard word to pronounce, Mm -hmm. I-S-A-N-D-L-W-A-N-A, Isandlwana, and and this took place exactly 11 days after the British invaded Zululand, from where they were, you know, on the coast in South Africa, and they, they came in from the Cape Colony, and they marched north. Okay. So, this battle, let me, let me, let me... Let me draw a picture, right? So you've got right. 1,800 British forces, about. Mm-hmm. Okay, and these 1,800 British forces, fucking armed to the fucking teeth, right? Right. They've got brand new weapons. They have breech loader rifle, breech loader rifles. They've got like heavy cannons. This is a modern military. This is a state-of-the-art military. This is the most powerful mm-hmm. empire in the world. And they get destroyed. Completely nice. destroyed. Right? Like, the they weren't expecting this kind of resistance because the British had pretty much just come in and, you know, flexed. And any indigenous yeah. they'd come into contact with, you know... They, they usually, you know, they, they resisted, but it, it wasn't that... It wasn't to that It extent. wasn't to this extent. The Zulu showed up with 20,000 warriors. And nice. these 20,000 warriors were using, you know, indigenous technology. They were using the Asagai, which is their, uh, their noted spear technology. It, it's like a metal spear. 
and they were mm-hmm. using cowhide shields. You know, spears and shields against a modern military. And in the end, it's believed about 13,000... Or 13,000, sorry. 13,000. Uh, 1,300 of the British died. Yeah. They killed... The Zulu killed Jesus. 1,300 of the 1,800 British. Sent the British fucking running, right? Yeah. This was a super decisive victory, and it was pretty much the end of this campaign for the British in during the Anglo-Zulu War. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a huge humiliation. You know, the most modern military in the world set running with their tail between their legs. Okay. Right. And so what happened later that day is this Zulu force, who's feeling cocky and feeling themselves pretty much, they decide to go to battle again, okay? Oh, so there's geez. something I need to, I need to tell you, Stephen, about about uh-huh. the Zulu. So tell me. You want to argue with a military historian on sort of really how do I put this? Not like pre-modern technology, but sort of like uh-huh. pre-gunfire warrior societies, and who okay. was the best soldier? Some will say it was Sparta. Some will say it was Rome, and those people mm-hmm. should sit the fuck down, because it was the Zulu. Zulu. It was the Zulu, okay? Nice. So a British garrison would walk and march in formation three miles to a battle, right? They wouldn't march mar- mm-hmm. more, but the Zulu would fucking run 12 miles That's to battle, awesome. and then they would fucking fight. So the Zulu awesome. fucking kick ass. And after their big battle at Isanwana, where they destroyed the British, they said, we're not done. So they heard of this sort of missionary defense post uh, mm-hmm. at this spot called Rourke's Drift. And it was really small. Uh, it was essentially a hospital. And there was an mm-hmm. engineer corps from the British military there. All in all, about 100... 50 British troops. There was some cavalry stationed there, but they didn't really stay for the battle. This battle is called mm-hmm. the Battle of Rourke's Drift. Also took place on the sec- or 22nd of January, 1879. Immediately followed the Battle of Isandwana. And so here you have the sort of last stand, what do we do? The mm-hmm. British find out that they have just been humiliated. This little outpost has a bunch of wounded soldiers, and they find the Zulu are coming, and they don't have a lot of time. And if they try to leave, they've got wounded, they've got a few civilians out in the open, they've got no chance. They're going to be taken down. So they decide, in an act of valor, to stay and protect the mission, and they fortify up while they can, and they wait, and they get ready. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. So they're ready, and at about 4 p.m., three to 4,000 Zulu warriors show up. We're not sure exactly how many. Against mm-hmm. 150 British troops, many injured Jeez. at this sort of like four or five building mission, farmhouse, uh-huh. hospital, uh, there was a cattle corral, and like mm-hmm. a bastion 
And so the battle began, and the British just hunkered down, and they fought as hard as they could, and they didn't make any risky maneuvers. Um, and it went on into the night. They just hunkered down, and they stayed in the hospital. At one point, the Zulu overran the hospital, and they had to hide in the bastion. And then night fell, and the Zulu just... Because they were smart. They weren't going to just send in everyone just in case, you know, because the British could have had mm. some sort of uh, last-ditch suicide attempt, you know. If we're all right. going to lose, let's just load this shit up with ammunition, gunpowder, and do as much damage as right, we can. Just blow it to hell. So they sort of yeah. kept, like, a siege going, right? And mm. uh, lasted past midnight. And around 2 a.m., the physical assault stopped on the bastion. But until 4 a.m., the Zulu were firing weapons they had taken in the Battle of Isandwana that they had gotten previously, weapons they had found at the Battle of Rourke's Drift, mm -hmm. mostly primitive rifles, um, and they fired on the Bastion constantly until 4 a.m. So this, th these men have been fighting for 12 hours straight. 12 hours yeah. straight of battle. Uh, while they're held up in the Bastion, they've lost 14 British soldiers already. Only 14, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty, it's that's pretty, pretty good, impressive. But the records state that not a single British soldier had not sustained a sing like an injury. So everybody was wounded yeah. in some way. They were fighting 12 hours straight. They were exhausted. Morale was low. Uh, in the beginning, they had gathered around 20,000 rounds of ammunition. They're down to nine hundred, waiting for their. They're, they're waiting for their their last hurrah. They're once more into the breach, mm -hmm. and then sun, the sun came, the sun rose, dawn broke. The British, they peeked out, the Zulu forces had disappeared. Oh, that's that's pretty scary. All that's left was around four hundred bodies. Around 400 Zulu bodies on the ground, which the British crazy. Uh, went and they they checked them, made sure they were dead. Uh, and it, it was estimated that of those left, there were about 400 dead, but all in all, it totaled around 500 that were wounded and left and captured or, or killed afterward. And um, the, the British had survived uh, out of the men... That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's like a crazy, like, really, really sort of like in-ground small siege story where these mm -hmm. 150 British troops fended off around 4,000 of the greatest warriors history has ever known. Yeah. Wow. So, out of this, uh, fucking like... 13 of the British soldiers received Victoria Crosses and Distinguished Medals. Mm -hmm. uh, Makes sense. <laughs> and, and and because, like, they, they were, like, fucking... There was, this was the fucking craziest shit that they'd ever been mm -hmm. through, right? And and they survived against, like, unsurmountable odds. And, and the Zulu forces, uh, during the day, while they were, like, cleaning up and stuff... Mm -hmm. uh, two separate Zulu forces came by and saw them and uh, 
the, the story is the British were having breakfast after the battle and had to leave their tea and toast and grab their weapons and, and hit the battlements. But the Zulu had seen what they had done, these few men, and sort of in like a sign of respect left them. Yeah. Because they had, they had, they had embarrassed them at the Battle of Isandwana and they thought this mm. foe was nothing. And then after the Battle of Rourke's Drift, they said, no, these are warriors like us. And that was really sort of the warrior spirit of the Zulu is they were really honorable. They were incredible uh-huh. melee fighters. And uh, they had that that sort of respect afterward for the British. And, you know, this is like the quintessential British uh, military story. You know, it, mm. it's been recounted in film a couple times. It's sort of like that bridge on the River Kwai, you know. We're, we're yeah, British yeah, yeah. to the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. For the crown or for nothing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a real crazy story of how, like... Yeah, it's so th- cool. This empire, which seemed unstoppable the same day, which had just completely destroyed this entire British, like, regiment, uh-huh. they could not finish off this small mission of uh, British soldiers. And then, in the end, showing them the respect of having a, won a battle. Yeah. So that's my story of the Zulu, and I think it's fucking cool. Very cool. And that's that's awesome. So African history, as we've said before, is is like my specialty and my favorite. Mm-hmm. I never really go this far south. Uh, most of mine is in the Horn. Mm-hmm. But I think when people talk about empires, they talk about Rome, they talk about Greece, they talk about Britain, they talk about Britain. Uh, you know, United Han Dynasty. They talk about. Yeah, you know, bunch of Asian sort of dynasties mm-hmm. and empires. The Zulu Empire, though it was really short-lived, was fucking something to be feared, man. It was really impressive. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to shed a little bit of light on that part of history that might not have gotten enough attention in our history classes. No, yeah, I don't think it does. I don't think I don't, and I don't think African history ever gets the right kind of attention that it needs yeah. you know we always have like like african african history is usually it's like usually a sob story the way it's taught yeah. and it's like that's part of the problem is the fact that we're teaching this narrative where you know you should feel really bad for africa when in reality like that's part of the problem that's yep. like when you, you know, victimize a continent you ignore its yeah. amazing successes and you don't yeah. really notice that the Zulu warrior or the Zulu empire or the Zulu kingdom or any of these kingdoms, you know, they were fucking real, dude. They were fucking serious, you know? And and they fucked up the British like nobody believed they could. Yeah. Shaka Zulu, great short, uh, short series, documentary series. Film Zulu in 1964, I want to say, uh, with Michael Michael Caine's first big movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, the Michael Caine. So, so I tell you, Batman, Master Wayne, <laughs> the Zulu, they come here, and we are all going to die. About the size of tangerines. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the Lamborghini dancer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great movie. Um, check it out. It mostly is about this exact incident that I told you about. Uh, I haven't mm-hmm. seen that movie in so long. I might rewatch it. It's real good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. All right, so that's my story. Steven, play cool. the transitional music. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
So, for my empire, I decided to go kind of classic, um, and literally, yeah, and I'm gonna literally, and I'm I'm gonna be talking about the Roman Empire today. Uh-oh. And I was originally gonna do kind of like a brief history of the Roman Empire, but then I realized I There's couldn't no do a brief, such history thing a brief history of the, history of the Roman, Roman empire, empire in 15 minutes. So what I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna tell a story about how Rome was founded. Because I think most people think, all right, there's these two brothers, Romulus and Remus, and they founded Rome. And it's it's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, and it's actually kind of like way more complicated and actually like a lot more interesting. So I don't know super much about Rome. However, mm-hmm. the love of my life is a PhD student um, in classical studies. Mm-hmm. She focuses on Rome. So you're mm-hmm. you're focusing on the Romulus Remus tale, yes. And not yeah, and not yeah, the yeah. Aeneid, which is like there's so many Roman there, founder stories, and, but I think Romulus and Remus yeah. is the one that most people are aware of. Yeah, and so what I'm basing off of is this this author named Livy, and he was he was born in uh, I I want to say that he was born in um like 68 BC. Let me double check that. 64 BC is when he was born. Between 59 BC and 64 BC, and um, he he gets commissioned by the uh, by the Roman state to write a history of Rome. Fuck yeah! And this is yeah, this is in the early, or late BC, I should say. So it's like around like I think like ten, nine or ten BC he gets asked to good do this. Good scrolls to and our ancient this, historians. Good scrolls, good man. Good scrolls. I yeah. did I did an ancient historian last week. I did Sun Tzu, and now you're doing an ancient mm-hmm. historian. Fucking yeah, man. Good scrolls. Livy. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so the one thing to keep in mind about Roman history is, uh, or early Roman history, I should say, is that we don't really have, like, hard factual evidence about what actually happened. Right. What, what we have is writings like Livy, and Livy is actually, like, the, one of the best sources we have for early history of Rome, one of the only sources we have for the early history of Rome. And we've got, like, stuff we found, you know, we've got, like, architecture and things like that. But in terms of, like, the kings and, like, what actually, like, went down, it's we have these ancient historians who may or may not be writing, you know, factual evidence, you know? They may or, you know, a lot of the stuff they're writing, you'll read it, and it's, like, they reference the gods intervening or something like that. And so you have to know, it's like, okay, that didn't happen, but it's important that to that you know that we recognize that because then we can say but what does that say about the people you know what does that say about Livy what does that say about the people living in the time period he's writing in that you know he would include something in his history so that's just food for thought if you ever want to delve into Roman history more but so I'm I'm going to be basing all of what I'm what I'm about to talk about off of his book it's uh, by Livy it's called the early history of Rome and so uh he picks up his story just after the fall of Troy by the, um, you know, the Greeks conquered Troy because, uh, Helen or Helen of, uh, of Greece. She's a Greece queen. She gets, uh, lured back to Troy and by, uh, um, by, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Orlando Bloom and, uh, Orlando Bloom lures Helen back to Troy and 
uh, they go to uh, the Gre- the Greeks go to Troy, and you, you know the whole Trojan horse, and they uh, <laughs> wow, they, they yeah, you know, they go to Troy, and you know the whole Trojan horse. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I, but you know, okay, so they go to Troy. They can't take the city because the city's uh, you know pretty much unsiegeable. So they send in a hauled out wooden horse with Greek soldiers in uh, inside, and they. Open the city gates and sack they the city. The joint up. That's, yeah, yeah. And actually, interesting enough, thought to be a story, but there's actually evidence to suggest that there was a Troy. Um, but anyway, so that picks up right after that. So we, after that, we have these two guys, um, and uh, they're 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 Trojans, and they were actually uh, trying to convince Helen to go back to Greece. So when the Greeks actually sat the, sacked the city, they were spared because they had Greek sympathies. Um, so the person we really get there, there's two guys who Livy mentions, but um, but the one we're really going to focus on is Aeneas, and his name is spelled A E N E A S. Aeneas, bro. Aeneas. 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 And uh, so so Aeneas is uh, so Aeneas is um, he he. <laughs> has his uh he's got his men he, he's got his he's got his posse of soldiers and they're just kind of sailing around from place to place kind of just vagabonding it up and eventually <laughs> wow <laughs> um <laughs> eventually they're they're sailing through the mediterranean and they they land on sicily at first and then eventually they they float over to italy mainly in italy and um they meet up you know when they when they make when they make land they encounter this king and his uh and his territory and it's his and the king's name is Latina Latinus. And uh Sounds like a Pokemon. Sounds like a Pokemon. So there's two stories about how this plays out. The first is that uh the two forces engage a battle and um Aeneas is the victor and uh King Lat- Latinus decides to marry him off to one of his daughters to kind of seal a treaty between the two of them. The other story goes that the no battle actually took ba- took place, and before, uh, you know, right before they were about to start fighting, King Latinus just decided to kind of take them into the into his city, and they kind of just kind of merged together. And so this is what happens: is that um, the these two groups kind of merge together and eventually become one. You know, Aeneas has sons, and after son, after son, or not son after son, but he has a son who has a son who has a son. So you go down the line, and so it's just you know it's a few generations later, and uh, so so you have these two sons, Numitor and Amulius, and Numitor is the oldest son, so he's the one that's going to inherit the he's going to inherit his the kingship from his father, but Amulius decides you know he doesn't really. He doesn't really want all that. So what he does is he drives his brother out of town, and um, he seizes the front throne from from his, for himself. So he performs a coup. He doesn't kill his brother, but he drives him out of town and uh, and takes the power for himself. And so his his older brother's daughter, his niece, he says, you know, you're never allowed to have kids. He pretty much he he sentences her, sentences her to a life of vir- of virginity, and um, as Livy describes it, uh, Vestal Virgin was raped and gave birth to twin boys. Mars, Mars, she declared, was their father. So, eventually, somehow, she has these two sons. And, Whoa, you know what that sounds um, she like? Knows she, 
What does that sound Fucking like? Jesus. I know. Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fucked up. We found him. <laughs> we um, found him. <laughs> so... <laughs> Good shit. Uh, so... So what happens is the king finds out that she has these two sons, and he's she he's he orders that the sons be killed to be com- com- uh, condemned to be ba- to be drowned in the river, and Livy says that destiny, however, intervened, and so the the Tiber River, which they were going to be uh, supposed to be drowned in, was so flooded that they just they had the soldiers who had the two so- who had the two boys couldn't actually get to the actual river, so. They just kind of left them in this swampy, like, really shallow area and was like, well, eventually they'll drown. They'll eventually they'll die. And so this is this this is where, you know, it will sound kind of familiar to a lot of people. A she-wolf comes along and nurses these two these two twin boys to health. You know, she offers her teat to the two twin oh, boys. No. And, yeah. And so, and eventually they're found by a... um by a uh just like a commoner like a farmer and who takes the two boys back to his to his hut to his house and him and his wife kind of nurse them to health and raise them and so you got these two boys and they're named romulus and remus (laughs) and um so they're kind of they're really anxious and 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 ambitious young boys and their adopted father kind of realizes May, you know, makes us an assessment that these two young boys are, are noble blood. So what happens is the uh, the king the king finds out about these two boys and is gonna it lays a trap for them to be kidnapped so that he can kill them. So Romulus successfully def- I'm, not, I'm gonna quote here from Livy. Romulus successfully defended himself, but Remus was caught and handed over to Am- Amulius. The brigades landed a, a complaint against the prisoner, the main charge being that he and his brother were in the habit of raiding uh, Numitor's lands with an organized gang of ruffians and stealing the cattle. So they, they, they make these claims up to kind of throw them in prison, right? And uh, so now Remus is in prison, about to be killed, and Romulus is out. And Romulus is, uh, Rom- Romulus, you know, knows he needs to go rescue his brother. So, uh... He meets up with uh with Numitor, who's still alive at this point, who's his uh grandfather. And he pretty much tells Romulus the whole story, saying that, you know, like you're of noble blood, you're a rightful heir to the kingdom. And so Romulus, you know, he he kinda gathers a band of of uh of misfits together, a band of, you know, a makeshift armies to get armies together, and goes and uh captures Remus and kills uh and, and kills the Numitor's brother, Amulius. And so, now that Amulius is dead, the the two brothers are the rightful heirs, right? Romulus and Remus are the rightful heirs to the throne. So, what they decide to do is, instead of taking power, they put their grandfather, Numitor, who's, um, who's, you know, an older man at this point, they put him in charge of the city. They say, you know, take back your spot at the throne. And they decide to go find a, to go fi- um, find a city on the place where they were originally abandoned on the Tiber River. So they go off and they they go to the Tiber River where they were abandoned and they get into a dispute. And so eventually they decide to to make two separate cities. And um you know, they're they're still not happy with the, with each other and eventually 
Uh, and this is, it's still, you know, no one really knows how this happened, but Romulus kills Remus. Shit. Or, and so, yeah. Fucking and so now you have, mm-hmm. so Remus is dead and you have Romulus who sets up this town on the Tiber and this town would eventually become Rome. And it's named, you know, named after, after Romulus Rome. So Romulus uh, sets up this town and he starts convincing people to come live in his town. And uh, eventually, yeah. I just like imagine him be like, "What, hey buddy, you uh, you want to live <laughs> wanna in come, my town? You want to come live here?" <laughs> so his tactic to his tactic to actually get people into into his town was that there was a bunch of vagabonds and like runaways and like criminals and stuff. Um, who lived on the outside outskirts of his town, and he just invited them in and said, you know, like come on in, and come on uh, in. you know you you can make yeah you can make this place your home no problem, and so and eventually he's got he's got this really big area of land, he's got a decent population, but it's still pretty sparse. Like he's got more land than people, and so you know that and you know that Rome is built on several different hills, and. On one of the hills that wasn't technically in the city at this point, it's it was a common place for criminals, criminals and vagabonds and thieves and you know runaways to kind of camp out. So what he decides to do is he just decides to expand his city to that hill, and he brings them into his city. So now he's got a decent sized population, but he runs into a little bit of a dilemma. He's got no women. He's got no women to keep that population. We've all going. had that dilemma at some point. In <laughs> It is, yeah, it, it, it is a common problem. Um, so what he decides to do to, to, to fix this is uh, he decides to hold this big uh, festival. And it was a festival in, in, the, in honor of Neptune. Uh, and so he invites all these neighboring uh, villages and towns and people to, to come join and to come celebrate in this new town with them. And, you know, generally they, they were really curious to see what this, what this kid was doing pretty much to what, what this guy was doing with this town. So they all come in and they're having a feast and they're having a party. And then Romulus gives a signal and, uh, a bunch of soldiers, a bunch of Roman soldiers jump down and, you know, snatch up the uh, young women and young girls. And so they snatch up all the daughters and all the, you know, all the young girls and they just like take them away and they say, you know, all right, everybody else get out. These are our daughters now. They're daughters of Rome now. So what they do pretty much is that these, they pretty much just steal young women from neighboring villages and take them in to be the wives of the, of the Romans so that they can procreate. And so Whoa. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So literally they, they just they stole young women to be the new wives of Rome. And to, Romulus addresses or dresses these newly captured women who are just like fr- absolutely freaking out by this point. And you know, like rightfully they should be. And they say, um, they say, no, this is your parents' fault from not wanting to come to Rome and live here, and, and you know, live here with you. And he said, uh, you should be happy now. Your daughters are Rome now. So, and he said, uh, he said, the resentment you feel for your new husbands 
who have just kidnapped you will go away. Like, don't worry, their resentment's going to go away. So, so this is how literally Rome got started, was by stealing and capturing and kidnapping women. So I just thought that was a really humorous story. I mean, it's not humorous. It's pretty fucked up. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's a pretty humorous story. Actually, no, it's not. It's fucked up. No, it's not. <laughs> but I just thought it's, in, it's an interesting... It's an interesting story that, like, you never, you know, you never hear about about the start of Rome. Is that they really just kind of like ca- uh, kidnapped women to start up to start up their city. So that that was my story, and uh, and that that's kind of my tidbit about Rome, about you know the unknown parts or unknown, uh, unknown story of Rome. Yeah, they fucking kidnap women. It's fucking. Up. Yeah, that they that, that's how that and it was just like so nonchalant, like the way that Livy wrote wrote it and the way that like Romulus acted was just like, yeah, the yeah, yeah, the, this happened, like you know, it's just like, yeah, th- th- this is the way it is now. Damn. So, uh, but, yeah, good scrolls though, man. Good. Yeah, man, good, good scrolls. scrolls. <laughs> Jesus. It's pretty. It's pretty fucked up. Well, uh, I learned a little something today. Yeah, I learned I learned something today too, man. The Zulu are fucking See, awesome. All right, check it. Zulu and Rome go to war. Uh huh. They have to settle it with. Uh, it, it's speaking of Troy, the greatest movie ever made. Uh, they settle it. It's a pretty good Dude, movie. I like Troy. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> they settle yeah. it Troy style. Where they get their best warriors to fight their best warriors. Oh, okay. okay, so ten, ten Romans, fucking elite, mm-hmm. fucking Romans, ten Zulus. Who you got? I'm giving it. I'm giving it three to three to one Zulu. I'm saying Zulu, and here's my reasoning for Zulu. Yeah, that's it. So the Romans, the Romans were really good soldiers, but they were, they were. You know, it was their ranks. They were right? like the uns- they like uh, they work together really well. Yeah, well that's the thing is like they were like the they're like the unsullied from Game of Thrones. Oh my gosh. They're they're really they're really good when you get them like in like large numbers. They 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 work really well together. But they run into problems when they're fighting on A, they're fighting on terrain that they're not familiar with, yeah. and B when they're fighting like when, when they can't fight as like a cohesive unit. So there's this one story, and I just remember this off the top of my head from the uh, Roman history class I took, where the Romans are fighting. They're I can't remember who they're fighting, but they're fighting a battle, and it's through kind of a narrow, a narrow like, uh, um, like a uh, canyon. Oh, dude, that's sort that's of 300, thing. dude. Gerard Butler, that's what that is. It is, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, so they're fighting through like this narrow canyon, and they just get absolutely destroyed because they don't know how to fight in this kind of terrain. <laughs> But what the Romans are really good at also is that they learn from their mistakes and they're really, e- they can easily adapt their fighting style. I mean, they can, you know, it takes, it's over the course of like, uh, like days and months, but they can, uh, they learn really well and adapt their fighting style to fit their, to fit whoever they're fighting. But I would give it to the Zulu just because I think the Zulu in general are better warriors. Yeah. Like it's more of a warrior culture than... Like the Zulu like step up and like some fucking heavy metal starts fucking playing fucking right Freya by the sword starts fucking they fucking just like pull their shit out oh let's bring back that show what was it Deadliest Warrior 
Let's bring that show back. That is worth. Oh God. That... Let's let's they plug in the variables in the computer and they say, let's let's watch yeah, what yeah, happens. Yeah. And then the the simulation <laughs> is generated by the two actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I don't think totally care. arbitrary. I, it was so... totally awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like you got the the scientist who's just like beating the shit out of a watermelon with like a hand axe. <laughs> Imagine this is a person's <laughs> face. This is what this yeah. hand axe will do. Apache wins. <laughs> oh, dude. Yo, I had that oh, video game. There, there was I a know, video game. Yeah, I know. That, okay, we're going way that off on a tangent here. I don't care. It's so much fun. So, uh, there was yeah. a Deadliest Warrior video game, and they had fatalities. Yeah, they, they did. It was like a straight Mortal Kombat ripoff. Fucking rip fatalities. It was awesome. It was like the uh, I remember the pirate. It like he like shot you in the face with the blunderbuss, right? So it was cool. That was a fun game. It was like a lot like Soul Calibur, but like not as good. Yeah, I mean I remember it was like ten bucks on the Xbox Live Arcade store. Well spent. Yeah, we did play that game. We played it a fucking lot, dude. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, good scrolls, good stories this week. Good scrolls. We um we never think ahead to pick. And announce next week. No, beforehand. we don't. I picked empires, so you off the cuff. Come on, give me something. Gosh. Do you want to do? Look, let's let's pick a specific topic and we'll talk about it. Um, instead of we instead of us both coming up with something separate, let's pick one topic and we'll both talk about it next week. Like two different sound? aspects or two different stories from the same topic. Or... Well, or, or or yeah, yeah, or or we'll just like pick one story and kind of have a discussion about it. Okay. Like a debate or like That's a good. just just a friendly yep. friendly roundtable fireplace discussion. Okay, uh, pick it, pick it right now, pick it right fucking right, now, uh, Steven. Let's do oh, off the top of my head, let's do the American Civil War. Okay, um, so we're just gonna you we're just gonna that? have a conversation about the Civil War. All right. Yeah, I will yeah, brush yeah. up on my uh, Ken Burns, and we will definitely do that. Um. Cool, 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 cool. Until next week when we slow Until things down week. and have just a nice little discussion. Uh, good scrolls, everyone. This was good scrolls this all was around. Dave. This was Steven. <laughs> this one is called Steven. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening to Bad History. Catch you guys next time.